Kia ora Colin Bjork here with the Pod Uni podcast, the podcast about podcasting. On today's episode, we dialogue with Dr. Claire Kankenen, one of Aotearoa's top science communicators. You probably know her from her work on the Our Changing World podcast and radio show produced by Radio New Zealand. This podcast won the New Zealand Podcast Awards 2021 Gold Medal for Best Science and Environment podcast. Our Changing World was also nominated as a finalist in the 2022 New Zealand Radio Awards for the categories Best Daily or Weekly Feature and Best Factual Podcast. In other words, it's one of the top podcasts around right now, and I encourage you to add it to your queue if it's not already there. Today, Claire and I discuss her work with the Our Changing World podcast. We also wrestle with some of the biggest questions facing science and science communicators today. And we close with an important discussion about how to write a good focus sentence for each podcast episode that you produce. Enjoy. Alrighty, kia ora, ko Claire toku ingoa, no aira nā hou, kei te toku kaina, e mahi ana hou ki te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. So my name is Claire, I am Irish, but I live in Ōtepoti Dunedin um, and I work for Radio New Zealand and I produce and present Our Changing World, which is a weekly radio segment and podcast about science and the environment. Kia ora, Claire. Thank you. Uh, and can you tell us the story of how you came to producing Our Changing World? It is a long and winding story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it starts, I guess, with my background in science. So I have a degree and a PhD in biochemistry. And coming towards the end of that, I realized that I enjoyed talking to people, communicating, teaching undergraduate students more than I enjoyed being in the lab pipetting for many hours a day, which was what my PhD involved a lot of. So I kind of, towards the end of my studies, started shifting towards doing more science communication first through like volunteering and then did some workshops. And then it was just serendipity that the end of my PhD a science outreach program started in the department. And so that was kind of my first switch into science communication. That was called Cell Explorers. And I worked at Cell Explorers. I started on a really short term part time contract, but we ended up getting more funding to expand the project nationally. And I ended up working there for about three years. And after that, so I had studied in the National University of Ireland in Galway bachelor's PhD and then worked there and so I was looking for a change of scene and managed to get a job as a science communicator in Otago Museum in Dunedin and made the move over here and fell in love with Dunedin, stuck around, had an awesome time in the museum and while I was there in my own time I started podcasting with a friend and that was kind of just born from a love of listening to podcasts. So we did a couple of seasons of, we call it the Wild Dunedin podcast. So it's about wildlife around Dunedin. And from there, I had a couple of other projects. So I 
worked as an onboard communicator for a paleoclimate expedition that went across the Pacific, did a podcast for that, did another podcast for a research center, and then this job was advertised. And it's kind of a long shot for me, but I thought, well, I'll just apply for it anyway because it's dream job territory. And voila, I got it. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. So I've been doing the job for a year now. Uh, So still relatively fresh. Um, But yeah, that's the story. That's great. And I know many people around Aotearoa are are, really grateful to have your voice in their ears every week. Uh, Actually, this is a bit off script question here, but hearing you tell that story of your own transition from PhD in the sciences to science communication to where you are now, imagine you're talking to some other current PhDs or postgrads right now. Are there any tips you might give them if they were thinking similar to you, like teaching, like communicating, maybe don't imagine themselves in the lab moving forward? Is it all serendipity and chance? Or is there way are there ways that you can put yourself in the kinds of positions to find these kinds of science communication opportunities? I guess I did seek it out, you know, so when I was in the university, if there were any you know, university open days where students were coming in and they were looking for volunteers, then I would put my hand up for that. And I did some workshops as well. I think there was one through the Biochemistry Society and there was another through the university that were science communication workshops. And that was kind of a taster for me of whether it was an area that I wanted to be in or not. Um, So... That was the original kind of seeking out. And that meant that when the program started up, I was in a position. I knew it was what I wanted to do. I had volunteered with the person who was running the program already. So she knew me from the volunteer experience. And I guess the other thing about that is I'm in this job now because I started doing podcasts in my spare time because I wanted to do them because it was a type of science communication that I wasn't doing in the museum, but I wanted to go ahead and give a go or go ahead and try. So, yeah, I guess that would be the advice is seek out opportunities and give them a go. Because firstly, it'll see whether it's something you actually enjoy and whether you have the skills for and whether you want to get involved in. And then it also starts to, you know, build your CV so that if there is paid opportunities that come up, you can say, well, I've already done all of these different things in my own time. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. So, yeah, this is interesting thinking about your own journey to this position because it makes me think of your kind of the multiple hats that you wear, your identities, right? You're working at the intersection of science and science communication, journalism, podcasting, a whole variety of fields. How do you, do you see yourself primarily as one of those things in terms of your professional identity or, and and specifically as host of Our Changing World? How do you think about your role and identity? I guess probably more leaning towards science communicator. And I suppose that's because that's the space I've been working in for many years now, first in Galway and then at Otago Museum. But in this role, you know, I 
I'm talking to scientists and I'm explaining an aspect of their science, but I'm not doing it for them. I'm all the time thinking about what the listener might want to hear about and what I need to tell them in order to bring them along on the story. So it is science communication, but it's not... You know, before maybe I was doing it for a, a research institute or for a university, but now I'm very much doing it for the listener or the audience. So that's kind of flipped around a bit. I suppose before I was very much in the area of hands-on communication with school kids or communities, you know, doing experiments or then designing exhibitions in the museum. And now it's very much in that podcasting, you know, creating audio stories and audio scenes area. And so, yeah, I guess science communicator and podcaster is probably where I'm fitting at the moment. Mm, mm. And do you imagine your audience differently now that you've been at the head of Our Changing World for a year, differently than with, with the science communication you did before, right? So, or do you think of just a uh, general Kiwi public or do you, how do you imagine that? You said you, you like to think about the you're making the story for the listener. You're interviewing on behalf of a listener. How do you imagine that that listener? So it's a definitely a different level. Like I have been communicating science for a very long time. You know, and if you start as an undergrad, you start <laughs> early. And then in your PhD, you're writing papers, you're presenting, it's to other scientists. And when I switched to the outreach program and at the museum, it was mostly to younger audiences, so schools, sometimes to adults in a community setting, but still you're trying to hit like a big age bracket. Very much with Our Changing World, it's a legacy show. So it has an existing audience and it has a kind of science interested, very smart adult audience. And that means that I can pitch the science quite high as long as I bring the audience along with me. So obviously you can't chuck jargon at people. It's not going to work. And, you know, even being a, you know, I must got a PhD in biochemistry, but I'm not going to know the jargon in physics or geology or, you know, other areas of science. And so I can't expect a listener to as well. And, so very much what I'll do is think about what steps I need to take to bring this really clever, science-interested adult audience that I have along with me so that I can explain to them. And as I was thinking about that audience as well, what I always need to try to do is, obviously, I have my you know, preferences of topics is things I am more comfortable in because of my background and experience and, you know, different projects I did with the museum. And then there's uh, things that I find fascinating and interesting. But I always need to think like, okay, well, is my audience going to be as interested? And am I giving that breadth of topic you know, science and environment is massive. So am I covering the breadth of topics that the audience will appreciate that there's something there that people are interested in listening to? And I also need to think about 
why I'm telling this story from the audience perspective. Why should they care? That's great. So based on our previous conversations, Claire, I know that um, there are a few specific ways that you approach science communication on our changing world. Um, when you're telling these, these stories for your target, your smart and astute Kiwi science interested listener. Uh, one of those things that you uh, kind of bring to the forefront is process, the messy scientific process. Tell us why that's an important aspect of science communication for you. The joy of our changing world is that I have a bit of time. You know, this is not a news piece. This is not a three minute, here's a piece of science that's been published or happening or, you know, an event that gets condensed and put into a soundbite and sent out. I have time to go and talk to the scientist as they are doing the science. And for me, that's one of the gifts of our changing world is I can get into that. Because I think it's really important for people to understand the process of doing science and all of the ways that a scientist has to think about controls and variables and setting up an experiment and the things that go wrong and even some of the just the you know nitty gritty difficulties of being in the field and you know the wire holding together the equipment breaks and you're going to the local store to find something so that you can cobble it together or you know the the different things that happen and come up and this is the actual scientist doing science. Um, and yeah, it's lovely to have the time and the space to explore that in our changing world. But it's such a key part of how science works. And it's such a key part of that journey of finding a little bit of information. But that's just adding to a bigger pile of information, you know, and there's that uncertainty in science that's hard often for people to grasp. Scientists are always kind of hedging their answers with all of these qualifiers. But I think once you start to explain the process of science, you understand a bit more why there are all those qualifiers and how each little bit is just adding more certainty to how we think something works. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's important to get across. Especially, you know, if we think of the pandemic over the last few years, the science was changing. We were witnessing science happening in rapid time. And it was it's just like a, a petri dish for how science works. You know, there was initial studies that would come out with a certain answer. And then a couple of months later, the story is changing. And that's because people are just constantly doing more science, checking more things, running more experiments. Yeah. And that's the process of science. Yeah. It's not um, it's not a straightforward, pristine thing. Well, tell me some about um, an another thing that uh, our changing world does uh, really nicely is uh, kind of challenge this idea that science is a wholly objective understanding of the world. Rather, science is also integrated. Like we're, we're after more and more certainty, as you said, but science is also deeply embedded in society and culture and, and, and 
you seem to bring that element to the fore. But tell us sort of more about why that's an important aspect to understand about science and science communication. I think I've kind of had a bit of a personal journey on this. So, you know, I have a very Western science training and background. And I remember at one stage in my younger days, just lauding science as this beautiful objective process that helps get to the truth of the world. And it's just not that simple. It's not, that's not true because science is a process made by humans and done by humans. And so into that process, we bring all of our upbringing and culture and identity and beliefs and bias. And so I think there seems to be a lot more conversation and discussion around this at the moment. And I'm just keen to continue that to some extent on our changing worlds. When we talk about different aspects of science and how scientific research is done, can we also just wider the lens to see, you know, in what context is this being done? And just to raise those flags of saying, well, this is one way of doing it viewed through this lens. I guess one of the big things for me is science has, let's say in terms of, you know, conservation or environment for a long time, we've kind of looked at something in isolation and pulled it out and studied it separately but you know there are other ways to do that rather rather than looking at something individually but like looking at that whole package including us and how everything interrelates um you know how that interaction between nature and human and human and nature goes about I guess the objectivity, you know, it's such a it's such a bold goal that you could look at the world and find like that key truth. I think that's why it's so seductive. That you're like, this is the real truth of the world. But it's just really, really, really difficult to do that. And especially because it is humans doing that. And so when you pull things apart to study them in isolation, you then miss that wider context, including the context of it's humans doing the science. But, you know, science is hard. And so if you if you don't pull things apart to study them, then you have all of these variables that are confounding and interacting and it's really difficult to get your clear answer. So there's a, a you know, a juxtaposition there. There's a conflict there. And it's, you know, it may be that we need both. We need to look at things from this overview where we are part of the world that we're we're within it and we can acknowledge that we're looking at something as a whole and the way that we look at it is going to impact it but then also that we you know drill down and get information from picking things apart but i think it's a really exciting time to be in science communication where there does seem to be this kind of reckoning of how we've done western science and how that's been exclusionary of other ways of knowing and that you know looking forward how can we rectify that Mm. yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, one of the things I, I really appreciate, Claire, about our changing world and your work on the show is the way that uh, you emphasize um, amplifying the voices of women, people of color, indigenous researchers and scientists, uh, representation um, and uh, is, is a clear component of of communicating scientific work in Aotearoa. And I would love to hear you speak more about the importance of that kopapa um, for science and science communication. Well, I think it's just reflecting the diversity of people who are doing science in Aotearoa. And that was something that's really important to me. I had read an article a couple of years back written by Ed Young where he talked about a colleague of his, um, Adriana Laflan, I think. But a colleague of his had, had gone through all of her pieces and figured out what she was just looking at um, gender balance in her stories and she realized that it was overwhelmingly towards male interviewees and so Ed Young then did an analysis so he, he's a writer in the Atlantic he does a lot of excellent science communication pieces and so he had then done an analysis of his own stories and found that he also had a gender imbalance and I think that just having read that this was before we did our first series of Wild Dunedin, myself and my colleague Jamie McCauley, that kind of triggered something in me. And then I was looking through the list of people that we were going to interview and I realised that they were majority male. And so it's always kind of been in the back of my mind that the show, being a show that is talking about science across Aotearoa, it needs to represent the diversity of people that are doing science around the country. And not just that I don't end up just interviewing those people that are in the, you know, principal investigator or head of lab positions, because yes, those people have been doing science for a very long time. And so they have a lot of knowledge, but often when you get to that stage, you're not actually actively doing the science anymore. You're more in the office, you know, writing the research grants and tidying up the publications of the papers. And so something I wanted to do is make sure that I was talking to those early career researchers, the postgraduate students who are in the fields and in the lab actively doing the research. Um, yeah, so that that's, I have been kind of tracking who I've been talking to. And like I said, I'm in a year, so I haven't done the analysis yet, but I'll have a look now and kind of check in and see how I did. And, and you know, hopefully just keep working on it year after year. That's the plan. Mm, that's really inspiring. Well, and that's connected to issues of gatekeeping in science, right? So gatekeeping in science um, often plays uh, a role in uh, limiting public access to scientific knowledge, um, right? Latest research is often locked up behind paywalls of peer-reviewed journals. Um, and so science communicators sometimes get tasked with um, playing this bridging role between Western scientific communication and the publics who need that information and policymakers. So tell us a little bit more about that gatekeeping problem and um, yeah, how, how we might be able to make that kind of scientific knowledge more publicly accessible. 
science, as it's set up at the moment, is a weird system. And gatekeeping of knowledge, I think, is something that, uh, as I became more aware of it, you know, as I started to research in science and then write papers, you realize that this whole system set up where a lot of research that's taxpayer funded, so publicly funded, is being done and then it's being written up so that it can be shared with other researchers. But then the taxpayer is paying again for it to be published and then that knowledge is locked away behind a paywall of the journal that it's published in. And so if you want to actually access it as a taxpayer, you need to pay again to read the paper. And it's it's just a bizarre system when you think about it. And then, you know, and then on top of that, the kind of progression through science is based on publishing in these journals. And, you know, whether you get promoted or not depends on whether you've published numerous articles in high impact journals it's a very weird system but yeah as a science communicator I guess my main issue or the things that I think of are gatekeeping are that you know restricted access to the journals so this publicly funded research cannot be accessed by the public obviously now there's more you know open access journals so they are available But then the second barrier you have is that when people are writing these articles, they're writing them for other scientists. And so you've got this, you know, thick and heavy jargon that the papers are written on so that the public can't understand anyway. And so whether they realize it or not, there is this whole system in science that just is gatekeeping knowledge you know, knowledge that should be, like science should be a process where we're creating, we're accumulating this body of knowledge to help everybody. <laughs> Ideally, that's how it would work. But if you're only, if you're restricting the access to the knowledge, then you run into all of these issues. And I think when we were talking before, I shared this cartoon with you where there's a giant pile of treasure and it's discussing science as like a a body of knowledge, you know, an accumulated treasure of things that we know. And then on top of the treasure, there's a dragon and the dragon is calling people stupid because they don't know, you know, the science that's in there. And, and like that kind of adversarial, you know, if, if you don't understand, you're an idiot. It like, that's just unhelpful, that kind of attitude. Like if we don't explain the science that we're doing in a clear enough manner to the public, then we can't expect them to just know it. (laughs) And then if you call people idiots for not knowing it, then you're just going to isolate them. Um, Yeah, so I would like to see, I guess better science communication you know when when research is published um, I would like to see it become more embedded into the research process and funded you know funded from from those research grants that there is an outreach element to your research so that you as part of what you're doing you're also talking to the community in a way in places and in ways that the community can understand 
I guess that would be dream goal. And um important one a hugely important one that yeah it should be worked into the research this public science communication but also that it should be funded and appropriately resourced and 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 yeah that's really that's spot on claire <laughs> tell me about storytelling in science right so you there are so many stories in aotearoa that you could tell about science um and you've gotten you have a wide breadth of of scientists who you've gotten to speak with over the past course of this year. How do you go about the process of selecting stories? Um, and as you said earlier, how do you go about the process of kind of finding the why should a listener care about the story after you've um, selected it? So for me, this is very varied. And it can be... From me thinking about a topic that I think our audience, the listenership, would be interested to know more about, and then searching actively searching out the people who are researching in that area. And every time I focus in on a story, you know, I'll do a bit of reading around, but I'll also pick up the phone and have a pre-interview chat with the person. And because that really helps me to understand what they're doing and to also get to the why of it, to ask those why questions. Sometimes it's because I've heard of or know of somebody doing an interesting piece of research and I will contact them directly to kind of find out more about it. So yeah, it kind of, it, it varies. And then I guess finding the story is... You know, if it piques my interest, then that's one aspect. And then it's, again, thinking about like, well, for the general audience, how does this impact their lives? And I'll always ask that question in a pre-interview chat. I'll be like, well, why are you doing this? <laughs> why is it important? Set it in context for me. You know, why does this matter? Um, And so often that's what the story will kind of hang on is like why this is important. Sometimes the stories will hang on the process of how people are doing something because maybe that's the thing that has kind of, you know, captured my interest and just like, this is really like, okay, you know, often we see in the newspaper, like, that earthquake ruptures every 10,000 years. How do we know that? You know, how do you figure that out? And and so that, you know, how do we, sometimes that can be an interesting story. So interviewing is such a difficult skill. Maybe you can, what, can you walk us through that that process of when, because you, you said, you just said a heap of things, right? You're reading research, you're doing different things. W what do you do when you... Do you email someone first and then go read in their area? Do you read? Do you email? What, what's your process for interviewing? How does it work for you? <laughs> I will read up in the area. So so maybe I get, I think of a topic that I think is relevant and interesting and the audience might want to hear about it. Or I get a suggestion, you know, whether it's a 
comms person at a uni or a press release or, a, you know, a, a friend of a friend who says, oh, this person's doing something cool. So I will go and read into anything I can find on that topic. So if there's articles, if there's a press release, um, if it's, you know, focused on a particular piece of research that's been published, then I'll try and find that journal and, and have a read of it. Um, and from there, I'll have a good sense of what the, you know, what the story is, what the research is. I suppose not maybe what the story is, but what the research is. Once I've done that, then I'll reach out to the person by email and say, I think your stuff might be cool for an audio story. Um, when can we chat on the phone? And then I'll pick up the phone and I'll ask them, you know, fill in the blanks of the bits that I don't know from the research and dig in a bit more into that why and context and get those other little bits that you can never know from like the media press release, you know, that they like dreamed of doing this from when they were a teenager or, you know, they have a, a deep personal connection to this, you know, land or species that they're studying or um or disease and and uh, looking back actually at the stories that I've done in the past year I think definitely things that attract me are when there's like a, a, a connection between the researcher and the topic there's kind of a lot of passion there so once I have done that pre-chat that's when I go and I have this template that I go to and it's got, you know, a rough title, what the story is about, the, the science, and then I do up a focus sentence. So a focus sentence is where you're not talking about, you know, it like, okay, the science in the story is about geology. It's about paleoseismology. So it's about, you know, finding out the past history of the earthquakes. But that's not the story. You know, the story has to be more. It has to be, there has to be kind of like a, a journey in there. And so that's what the focus sentence will, will be about. So I'll have like a first draft of that. And then from there, I'll then write the questions. So there's going to be some questions that I'm just going to need to, you know, there'll be information finding. I need to get these facts and there'll be other questions where I'm going to be building that story and I'll go through those. So I'll sketch out a, a list of questions and um, and yeah, and then I'll go to interview. And I guess in the pre-chat as well, what I would figure out with the person is what they're doing right now and how that's going to sound you know and whether that's um they're going to be in the lab and there's a 3d printer that's going to make some awesome noise <laughs> that i can record or whether they're going to be in the fields and who else is going to be there or who else is on the project and can we also have them along to talk to to get their impressions or their takes um and then I can start to think about also about that that kind of soundscape that I'm going to have and so once I have that then I go and do the interview yeah that's brilliant I love to hear how much homework goes into doing just a single interview uh that's brilliant and it makes me 
feel like I should have done more homework for this interview. Um, I have a couple, can I, a couple like technical questions that I think that my podcasting uh, colleagues and students who I work with could learn from a lot. Do you tape the pre-interviews in case there are gold nuggets? No. Okay. They're just over the phone. Yep. Um, so I don't. The audio quality isn't good enough. Um, but often they will take place, you know, a bit of time before the actual interview. It's Sometimes they're close to it, but most times, you know, there's a few days difference. So it's not as if, it, you know, it's just right then. Um, but I would definitely say once you arrive on the day of the interview, never ask some of your questions in advance. You always Ooh. have to be on tape because you mm. want to capture that automatic first take response. There's a, that's where the gold nuggets are. <laughs> that's great. That's really great tip. Yeah, don't don't give, don't show your whole hand yet. Um, gather the bits uh, to know enough to write your full interview questions to get the story that you're that you're that you're starting to shape around with that focus sentence but save them for that beautiful first take oh i love that clara that's good so tell me tell me about your focus sentence because that's something that i think is really challenging for it's just it's it's it can look easy it's just a sentence but it's so much more than like you say i'm doing a story about x because that's not inherently interesting it's just a topic um can, do you have a set model for how you write those focus sentences, a kind of formula, or what are you looking for in a good focus sentence? So this is straight out of the Bible, <laughs> the Bible for podcasting, which is, gosh, the name is going to escape me now, uh, the Orange Book with Jessica Abel. And is it Jessica Abel's book? Yeah. The out of, out yeah, on the yeah. wire? Out on yeah. the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. The That's Bible the of podcasting, out yep. on the wire. Um, yep. Where there's kind of two versions. There's the Radio Lab version, which is this story is about X and it's interesting because Y. Yes. And so you've got your topic, but you've also got your, you know, why is this interesting? Why why does it matter? And then the other one, which is uh, the This American Life focus sentence, which is, you know, you put in the the character and um gosh and i forget the format of it now but somebody it's somebody, somebody doing, doing something, something because, because but. but yeah that's <laughs> yeah. it that's it, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> which i think is you know in this american life they're very character driven stories and you have people at the center of the story and sometimes it's a little bit harder in science because instead of having a character, you have a piece of science. And so the piece of science is doing the something because, but. Um, so I do try and use that format of focus sentence, that, that This American Life focus sentence. And yeah, it's a tricky bit. There's no two ways about it. It's, it's difficult. It's very easy to think of a topic. There are a million topics you could do a podcast on, but until you have that, like, why is it interesting? This is the actual story. Then you don't have an episode. And, and that's the bit that I, you know, every week I'm learning, every week I'm wrangling. And that's the bit where I draft it as I write out those interview questions after the pre-chat. But when I come back after recording the interview... I redo it because that's where it changes, you know, 
after I've recorded the interview, even sometimes it's when I'm logging, when I'm, you know, logging the audio, I'm, I'm getting in there and I'm cutting up and I'm labeling the different bits. And, and then the story starts to, the pieces of audio start to kind of jump into different places in my mind. And then I go back and rewrite the focus sentence before I start building the episode. Um, but yeah, it's, there's no two ways about it. That's, that's the tricky bit. That's where you need to get your brain in gear. Um, there is a really good episode of Planet Money that I would recommend Ooh. to listen to. It's their 1000th episode and they actually get into the formula of how they make Planet Money. And Ooh. they don't quite talk about focus sentence, but they do talk about how they put things together. And because they're talking about, you know, tricky concepts to do with economics and then talking about how they make a story out of it, how they make a narrative out of it. I've found it really helpful to listen to in terms of thinking about how to put science topics science episodes together because you replace your economic theory or concept with a science theory or concept and and that episode kind of tells you a formula of how you can do it yeah oh that's good i'll go look that up and probably add it to my syllabus next year so you like of those two models right the first model is um i'm doing a story about x and what's interesting about it is y or, or z um, and the other model is somebody does something because blank, but blank. Uh, you like that you find yourself for our changing world doing the second model more. Is that what I'm hearing? That the character action driven? So the second one pushes me a bit more. I get lazy on the first one and I don't dig into it enough. You know, it, it's very easy to say this is a, this is a story about paleo seismology and it's interesting because earthquakes can be damaging. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much to Dr. Claire Kinkennan for sharing her wisdom and her experience with science communication and podcasting. Remember, if you want to hear more of Claire's work, go listen to the Our Changing World podcast and radio show produced by Radio New Zealand. You can hear it on air on Radio New Zealand, Thursdays at 9 p.m. just after the news, as well as Sundays 1 a.m. early in the morning just after the news, and you can hear one feature every Wednesday afternoon at 3.35 p.m. Or you can just download the podcast and listen on demand anytime you want. Thanks for listening, and kakite anō.